we're at $18 million in R. We're at just over 850 customers, but I'll explain why we've got less customers now. And we're clipping along at about 40% R growth per annum. Um, and we expect to be at 25 this year. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster. Minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Derek O'Carroll. He's building Bright Pearl, which he joined three years ago. He took on the biggest risk any CEO could take, a turnaround, and not a pretty turnaround, a big turnaround. Since taking the helm as CEO, he's led the retail operations platform from stagnant growth to more than $12 million in revenue, nearly 1,400 customers worldwide, and managing more than $3 billion in orders. Derek, you ready to take us to the top? I am, but all that data that you just gave me is from a number of years ago. So here's why that's our, that's here's, our own. here's why I read it. I'm setting you up to undersell over deliver. So oh, so where sorry, so so where are you now today? Uh, we're at 18 million dollars in R. We're at just over 850 customers, but I'll explain why we've got less customers now. And we're clipping along at about 40% R growth per annum, yeah. um, and we expect to be at 25 this year. Um, and all of the uh, leading indicators from a SaaS business of good, healthy unit economics are there. So it sounds like you've gone through some sort of motion of churning off smaller ARPU accounts and going enterprise, which is why customer accounts gone down. Walk me through the actual product. What are you upselling to enterprise accounts to drive expansion revenue? Okay, so selling to larger customers, the exact same product, but it's been conditioned to be able to support much, much larger volumes. So we invested in infrastructure, security, and customer success to be able to handle much higher volume. So in the main, the product is pretty much the same as it was three years ago with some areas of innovation, in particular around automation and native connectors to platforms like Shopify. And through that route, we were able to um, generate a lot more um, value to the customer and drive AOV. Over the four-year period I've been here, uh, AOV has gone up 588%, and it's now at 38000 per year on a per-account basis. That's subs only, not implementation. How do you measure AOV? Is that just on the sign-up or is that an average over like what you upsell them over the whole first year period? No, it's just on the sign-up. It's average order value for a new contract. So it's new contract value, I yep. suppose, in, in other parlance. And it's subs only, so no PS. So average professional services for implementation is about uh, $18,000 per, per new customer, around 18 billable days. Yep. Uh, and customers go live. Uh, we're, we're clipping along at about 110 days in the last uh, 12 months, in the last 12-month period. 
and that's calendar days. So that's from when you sign to when you go live, uh, which in comparison to the sort of legacy ERP systems like SAP or NetSuite, uh, they're typically about a year or a year and a half. Derek, a lot of the entrepreneurs listening right now are going, I'd love to do professional services. I'd love to do a setup fee, but my VCs won't let me. They don't like the low margin profile of professional services. You've done it. It's working. What advice do you have for them? Well, um, at the end of the day, we're in B2B software, so it's complex by its nature and it's people and software, and you need individuals who've got expertise to bring people along the journey. If you don't, you don't get people up and up and running. And I think the, the key number that we look at is pre-live and post-live churn. If you don't get professional services right, you see pre-live churn spike, which obviously impacts your universal churn. And then post-live churn, you want to drive down below 10% uh, and get to sort of 4% and be super sticky. And that's why professional services and the customer success journey post-signature is so, so important. So if you look at it in the just individual scope of PS and it's not margin rich, you're actually missing the wider picture. So you got to think end to end. When we spoke back in 2018, you articulated that gross churn annually on a revenue basis was about 13%, but expansion was 15. So you had above 100% net dollar retention. Where's that today? We're at still 13% churn and DOR is at 102%. I've never, so heard, it's the same I've never heard that. What did you say? D- dollar retained revenue. It's the same ah. number. It's sort of how much we're selling on top of what we had last year. Um, and when you look at that 13% churn, about four points of that, 4% or sorry, 5% of that is coming from what we call failed implementation. So customers that go off, um, go off spec, have issues, have people churn. Um, underestimate training requirements, whatever it is, and then they get to the twelve month cycle and they don't want to repay again. So that's what pre live churn is. Mm-hmm. And then, sorry, I, I cut you off. So the net dollar retention number, your DRR is is one hundred two. Yeah, it's one hundred and two percent. I mean, so is there a path to drive that up? Is it an initiative for twenty one? How do you get up to like one ten, one twenty? So over the last three years, we've put in place utility based pricing. Um, which essentially links our customers to number of orders um, uh, and their gross uh, GMV, gross merchandising volume that they put through the platform. And as they grow, they pay less per unit, but they pay more as they grow. And what we then follow that through was a program of um, improvements around contracts and then account managers and customer success. And then we put in place the the basics of best practice that would be uh, preached by companies like Gainsight. So really putting in place the checks and balances in a calendar to make sure our teams take past value delivered credit from the customer and then point them towards mid-contract upgrade or upsell to new products. So our DRR is being driven hugely by upgrades in plans because our customers are getting bigger on the platform. And the number that sort of cites that, which gives us confidence for the future, is in 2019, we processed um, $3 billion uh, of orders through the platform in 2020, that went up to $4.4 billion. So that's mm. th- that gives us lots of headroom. So if you think of RRR, annual recurring revenue, as a percentage of the total GMV through the platform, we've got lots of headroom now to chase through. And more importantly, the contracts are in place, the teams are in place. Customers aren't surprised when you let them know, hey, congratulations, you've grown. Here's your new plan. Yep. On a weighted average cost. That takes a lot of work. It does. It does. On a weighted average across the full customer base and $4.4 billion of GMV process last year, about what percent of that do you take? Uh, we take, uh, at the moment, I think we're at, well, we're, at the moment, we're 0.7, 0.8%, I believe, 
Yeah, uh, I haven't actually looked at that, but yeah, it's about point seven, point eight. It's a movie. It's a moving feast, and we've obviously got to take into account discount clawback as well when you're getting into the first year and the deals that are done by salespeople there. But I think we're at about point seven, point eight percent. And sorry, that's probably a bad question I asked you because it's hard to sort of calculate that average. You have some people paying more, some people paying less based off volume. Yeah. So better question might have been in 2020 when you look at your total revenue, what percent came from a, the flat SaaS fee versus the GMB percent? I don't have that figure. You're I'm not sure. Really, okay. really, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't have that figure. Yeah. I mean, this is an interesting trend we're seeing, right? In SaaS companies, some of the higher valued SaaS companies right now, we call SaaS plus have this combined model. And one of the things I'm curious about is which is actually driving more growth, the percent of GMV model or the, you know, the SaaS fee and traditional expansion model. So I'm just, I'm just looking into it now as we speak, just on, on the scorecard and expansion in the quarter. So this is this quarter is running at 140%. So that's a good indicator for, um, and that's growth this quarter over last quarter. And then if I look at the plan for the, for the year, so we've got 25 million of R to get to uh, in terms of total R. Um, mm-hmm. So I've got to add 7.2 million of net R at the end of the year, by the end of this year, of which um, 2.2 million will come from expansion. Um, so it's it's very very important for us, um, and it's a key area of investment. So when we when our head of revenue Nick Shaw comes to us and say I want to invest in more salespeople, more CS people, um, we typically are looking very very closely now at more CS people. In other words, the retention and the upgrade and the expansion, because it's a lot more cost efficient to go after a dollar there. But obviously, we're growing and investing heavily in the in the new business teams as well. And to hit that seven point two million in net new target, right? Two point two million is going to be expansion. How much do you think your processing volume will hit in twenty twenty one? We we think well, it's growing. It grew last year, which is quite exceptional, just over sixty percent, or sorry, fifty eight percent. I think it was. Yep. Um, and we expect this year to sort of normalize a little bit, down to about forty percent growth. We expect this year. So five point two, um, five point three billion, something like that. About, uh, about that, but that's on the. We are assuming and planning that um, the um, lockdown that's in place in the markets that we operate in will start easing around sort of July, August. Mm-hmm. But see, that's a. Because the lockdown has driven a lot more growth. Yep. And what we've, I've got a lot of customers who are traditional merchants. They were doing really well on online, maybe using platforms like Magento. They got hit by COVID. They shut down stores. They literally repackaged their business to go 100% online. They got rid of Magento. They moved on to Shopify. And now they're growing like, uh, like guns, but completely different cost base. And as a result, very, very different businesses. So it's been quite... Interested to see that transformation in the market in the last uh, year. Derek, let's go back to those CS folks and how you're thinking about expansion. Are you putting quota targets to CS reps? Yes. So they have um, they have two buckets. They have a in the territory that they run or the named accounts that they run. Um, we have CS reps split into two. We have technical account managers that are all around adoption, and then we have account managers that are all about contract renewal, negotiation, past value delivered. So they're the two roles. And um, both of them have a commission plan, which is based on uh, churn because they've got a goal of getting, you know, retention goal and then a dollar retained revenue figure to get to. So so we give them two bucket plans and then we allow them with management to uh, navigate the nuances that occur on a, on a per account basis. But they don't they don't have a hard number to get to. Yeah, um, we haven't done that because I tried that in the past and it resulted in some behaviors that were not opportune. Yeah, the, you know, the they, CS they rep focusing too much on selling, basically. Co- correct. And then they make decisions for the short term and 
it does not not good outcome for lifetime value. Yeah. Okay. Let's go back to the folks that do carry quota. You, I'm sure you have account executives. How many quota carrying reps yeah. do you have? Uh, we have currently now eight, eight. Um, eight account eight account reps, of which four are new. Um, and our RAM time for each new rep is six months, you know, by design, because that's how complex the product is. Um, yeah, but we've got eight at the moment. I would say six are fully ramped because we just, just hired two literally in the last two, two months. Um, six are deployed in the U.S. based in Austin, Texas, and two are in the U.K. Average um, uh, uh, ACV, so annual contract value per month that we expect from each individual head is 75K minimum. Mm-hmm. So that's their sort of floor. Um, so that's about 900,000 um, a new AR added per year if they're effective at fully ramped. Uh, about that. But when you look at the fully loaded cost of each AE, we're running at about 580. You know, when you take in count your BDO or your cost of pipeline and you look at all of the people that you need to feed a new AE because we run a territory model. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're we're stretching for 1.2, although we want everyone to hit the plan and, you know, go back to their spouse and celebrate success. So we've got it at 900. Mm-hmm. Um, but like 1.2 is where we, sh- where we, where we want to get to because our margin is an area of improvement as a business now that we're going through this phase. Um, and we're looking for, uh, you know, three to four points improved margin in the next 18 months. Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the, that's one of the levers that we'll be pulling and, more robust discounting control and all of the tightening that you would expect once you get product market fit. And Derek, did I hear you right? You said your all-in cost for an AE is something like $540,000 a year. Yeah. So that's globalized. It goes up and down a little bit with regards to, um, you know, the, the, that's in dollars. Yeah. So it's slightly different cost base mm-hmm. in the UK dollars, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, each, each AE has a, a business development wrap. Each AE has an allocation for marketing in terms of the number of leads that are going to come to them. Um, and they'll get them from inbound, which are our number one channel. They get an allocation from the partner teams because obviously that's a very, very healthy um, contributor of leads. And then each AE has to go out there and develop their own leads through their own territory. We have a, we have a territory model in place, which we're expanding. And then you've got um, other costs that are associated with each, with each AE. So it's really an allocation model from other mm-hmm. departments in. And it just gives us... Um, we, we, we do that because each ter- all territories are not equal. So yep. I might have sort of West Coast in the U.S., California, um, that the, the, the drag-along cost there for the AE sort of support with the opportunity that's in market support a much higher quota, although we leave it at 900, but we expect a lot more. Whereas if I go to other places in the U.S. or other places in the U.K., uh, they're not as rich. So we're looking for a different type of unit economic profile from those regions. So we might put in less experienced AEs into the, into the, the newer, more emerging, um, uh, territories. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about so full team, full team size today. How many folks? Uh, we go, we're at about hundred, we're at 112 as of this morning. And we, um, we're running a sort of sustainable growth profile. So what I mean by that is, as I said earlier on, we're shooting for 40% our growth this year. Um, and we have a plan to get to about 180 people by the end of the year. Mm. So it's quite it's quite a, a, an aggressive ramp. The two main areas of investment are the go-to-market teams, but also engineering. Um, and I'm not necessarily building new features out because we've got a very big platform and going deep uh, and focusing on quality, workflow optimization, automation, and better lowering the cost of integration from other platforms to me. Um, so it's 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 more of an evolution play. Now, talking about capital before we wrap up here, I think you guys did a $23 million round in December. Is that right? $33 million, yeah. 33. 30, 
Yeah. So yeah. what's that mean, mean fully raised all in? How much has the company raised? Uh, we've raised uh, 71, I think, in total since the company was started in 20, sorry, 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, but since my tenure, I essentially relaunched the business in 2017. Mm-hmm. That brings us to uh, 39 million. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. When, when we print the print, hit the reset button. And then, yeah, so of the 33 million, last year we reached break-even profiles. We weren't burning any cash, which was a big... Oh, congrats. Which was a, huge. Uh, that was a huge uh, goal for us uh, to get to. And so we're just managing that, hence the sustainable growth. I could have gone for higher growth, but I would have burned more, and I wasn't comfortable with that. I didn't want to go back to high burn profile. So of the 33 we raised, we're going to deploy a third of it into working capital improvement into the business. We're going to keep a third of it aside for some acquisitions that we're looking at, and uh, we'll keep a third for a rainy day in the bank, just mm-hmm. uh, uh, just to make sure that you know if something really horrible happened, we we would be able to survive. So we're at that point now, and um, yeah, we're in really good shape. Before we wrap up acquisitions, how do you decide who to go after? Walk me through your filtering process. Yeah, so uh, the criteria is pretty simple. So technical only, so companies that have really good product, but not necessarily the cost of anything else. So engineering teams. I'm looking for a break-even profile. Uh, they, they can't be burning cash. Uh, preferably, I'd like pre-configured proof of working with my platform and adding value to the customers. And then the last one is um, skills. I'm looking for people who've got the skills in these acquisitions that uh, I need uh, to execute in the future. So I've got that filter, got about 12 candidates, and we're just going through them looking for value um, and deploying that capital in, in, in a way that um, keeps my new investors happy. That's great. And when you raised 33 million bucks uh, back in December, what valuation did you raise at? Uh, pre-money 105. Okay. When I joined the company, it was worth eight. <laughs> so I hope you carved out a nice equity slug for yourself when you joined. I, I, I did. <laughs> it, was a distra- it was a distressed asset at the time, and I, I put a little bit of money in. Um, but yeah, I did two things. I got, I got a chunk for myself and I made sure there was a chunk for the team, the future team. So the, the, the first hundred employees are very well represented and, uh, I'm just on a podcast. No, I don't want to. Thank you very much. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're good. This is great. Um, Healthy valuation, put your own money in, took care of your team. You're doing all the right stuff, Derek. Let's, uh, let's wrap up the graph up here with the famous five. Number one, favorite business book. Um, I don't have one at the moment. I'm sorry. I, I would say one thing. I've really got a lot out of Mark Carney's uh, Reef Lectures on uh, BBC podcast, or you know, if you just look up Reef, uh, the Reef Lectures, Mark Carney, who's the ex Bank of England governor. Uh, the Reef really, really Lectures. Let's we'll check that out. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Uh, Frank Slotman of Snowflake, um, because he's European, he's older than me. <laughs> His average tenure is six years, and I've been here at Brightwell four years, but uh, his playbook's very interesting, so I've been studying him. Definitely. It's fascinating. I mean, there's this breed of CEO like Frank, like you, where there's a company that's VC-backed that maybe isn't growing as fast as they need to. One of you guys come in, right? You take it to the moon, and hopefully are IPOing two or three years later. Is that the path you see for Brightwell? Yes. No, yeah. we're, we're, on a, we're on a hot space in a category that's huge, and we've got a really good path, and now we've got a partner that can give us fast access to distribution, in other words, new customers. Yep. And so, yeah, we're, we're still independent, obviously. That was a minority round we did, and that was very important for us. Yep. But You're yeah. talking about the $33 million you raised was minority. Yeah. Yeah. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building Bright Pearl? 
well, it has to be Zoom. It's not my favorite, <laughs> but it's most, most, most. I, could, I wouldn't be here without it, so I'm sorry. I know that's a boring answer, but it's Zoom. You're good. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Oh, I'm eight to nine. Love that. And what's your situation, Derek? Married, single kids? Uh, married, two kids. One's a teenager, 14. The other one's 12. And uh, they're loving lockdown. Not. <laughs> and how old are you? I'm 52. 52. Last question. What's something you wish you knew when you were 20? Oh my God. Um, I would have loved to really understood at depth the engineering world and uh, in particular how to get visibility uh, and, and understand efficiency levels within engineering. I'd love you to do a show about engineering, yeah. not the business side of the house. I'd love someone to do the other side of the house and really drill in to the nuances around engineering and the tech stack. That would be super valuable. Well, watch this, Derek. Guys, if you're listening right now and you're an engineer, I'm not the right host for that show because I don't have the right questions to ask. But if you're listening around, you're an engineer and you're also entertaining like me, right? And you're fun like me. You're good looking like, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'll pay you a grand a month to launch this podcast. Reach out. I'll pay you a grand a month to launch this podcast for folks like Derek. In the meantime, guys, there you have it. Bright Pearl up to $18 million in terms of run rate growing nicely. 5.4.4 billion in GMB through the platform last year. They continue to scale with their team of 112 people 33 million bucks at 133 million bucks raised last year at 108 million dollar pre-money valuation Derek thanks for taking us to the top always a pleasure Nathan cheers